Happy Easter Living Word, welcome. Right here on, at, on, uh, on site and online and over in the Life Center, so so glad you guys are here. And wow, 45 years ago, today is the day that Living Word got started with a small group of people and our founding pastor, Steve Longquist, and they would have never dreamed that God would have done the things that he's done. So to God be the glory forever and ever, amen, amen. The Apostle Peter, he had a front row seat to the, like the entire ministry of Jesus, and he was one of those people who had the closest view of all the things that took place with the crucifixion and resurrection. A couple of decades later, he wound up writing these words, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish spoil or fade. Do you know the week that Jesus died at the most, at the most he had a couple of hundred committed followers. 30 years later when Peter wrote these words, there were now tens of thousands of followers of Jesus scattered in small communities all throughout the Roman Empire and beyond. And then 300 more years would go by and Christians numbered over 30 million, one half of the population of the entire Roman Empire. What accounted for such spectacular growth? And let me tell you, it just wasn't simply following the teachings of a dead rabbi. Instead, it was the living presence of the resurrected Jesus Christ filling the lives. That is what caused a spectacular explosive growth. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said, I am the living one, I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and of hell. You know, Easter is the good news of God on steroids. I mean, it's like Easter is the good news of God amplified and magnified. Easter is the good news that sin and suffering and, and pain and death, they do not have the final word. Easter is a message that Jesus Christ is risen and alive forever. But even though those other things don't seem don't have the final word, they sure do sometimes seem to have a lot more presence than what we would wonder. And sometimes we just have to acknowledge the fact that life can be pretty hard and we can struggle with this thing called hope. Today I want to talk about the hope that comes from the resurrection of Jesus Christ on Easter. We're going to talk about we need hope how we find hope, and then how we live with, with hope. And I would say that over the last few years, more than any other years in recent memory, life has been pretty hard for all of us. And it has been very hard for some of us and for some groups of people. Almost on a, on a daily basis, I see in my news feed some kind of report talking about the anxieties of our age talking about the, the mental health struggles that we have in this time and season of life, about these cultural problems that are like insurmountable, about the alienation, the angst, and the anger that is so prevalent. I mean, hard times are everywhere for so many people. And in addition, a lot of us experience life as a, a series of, of losses. And as we wind up having these losses, like sometimes we just feel so stuck we don't know what to do. We feel sad. We feel disappointed. We feel hopeless. And our need for hope is really, really great. 
In, in the last week or so, we called up with a couple friends, uh, Chelsea and, and Jim, and they have a couple of different stories of going through some very, very hard times and about dealing with some very painful losses in their life and how they wound up encountering Jesus during this time. Let's listen to their stories. I'm Chelsea. I uh, recently started coming to Living Word. It was actually last May that I moved back to York. I was... Um, in New Orleans and engaged to my ex-fiance that lived down there and um, things became very tumultuous. He was an alcoholic and um, it had become, you know, just unhealthy. It was a pretty dark place, even so dark that I kind of had forgotten about God. I mean, that sounds so horrible to say. It was like all of these other things had consumed me. My relationship was failing. Is it my fault? I didn't want this image of my life, you know, in my early 30s about to get married to crumble. Um, and God just wasn't in my mind. I, I think that it was just that time of desperation that it really pushed me to come to God again. And I kind of was like, what am I doing? Like, I need prayer back in my life. This is what I need. When I got home, I was a pretty broken person living with my parents again after like, what, nine more years of not living with them. Um, and I started studying the Word of God, and I didn't understand this peace that I had, that inner peace that God gives you that you feel even when you shouldn't. I mean, it was the worst season of my life, and even still now, I, I hold on to that. So there are times when I don't necessarily feel um, adequate or I, I feel like a mess sometimes, and I feel like God meets me in my messiness, and that gives me this peace, like he just has my back no matter what. And I absolutely um, believe that after what I've been through. You can go through the motions, but until you have that relationship, you're not gonna get the hope that you really need. It's just, it's completely turned my world upside down. Uh, my name is Jim Hale. I have five children, um, four girls and one boy. Um, I married my wife in 94, knew Karen for 30 years, which was, which was wonderful. We had a wonderful relationship. The five children moved to different areas of the country and had families and finally became empty nesters in June of 2016. And uh, that was probably one of the happiest times of our lives because we had raised kids all our lives. So for those of you that have uh, finally are empty nesters, my hat goes off to you because it's a joyous time. We used to travel a lot, and, and that was a significant part of our life. And during one of the, the trips that I had with Karen, uh, she was complaining of, of stomach problem. And we got that checked out, and um, York Hospital called us in on, in November of 2016, and um, we, we got the news that she had metastatic stage four breast cancer. And that was a very, very difficult thing to hear, um, and it was very difficult for us to really digest what that meant. Um, I remember holding her hand in the hospital room and said, honey, we're gonna, we're gonna get through this. We're gonna, we're gonna make it work. Many people that go through cancer, they know the ups and downs of cancer. It's a journey. 
Um, you're, you're, you're trying to find the best treatment you can to try to keep the cancer at bay. And we did a really good job of that um, and went all the way through to 2020 and then COVID hit in March of 2020. And uh, her, her condition took a turn for the worst in around April, May timeframe. And we had to make the, uh, the very, very difficult decision of putting her in hospice in June. And, and ultimately it led to us losing her in uh, July of 2020. And that was an extremely um, tough time for us as a family. We're a very close-knit family. And it was uh, devastating to hear that news or go through that. I, I thank God for giving me the opportunity to, to be with a woman like that for 30 years. That was half of my life that I spent with a woman that, um, you know, helped me raise my kids. And love life. And I, uh, I appreciated that. And I, I thank God for that. Because a lot of people don't have an opportunity to have that type of a situation. So you, uh, you pick yourself up and, and I, uh, I just prayed. And I, and I asked the Holy Spirit to come into my life more and to guide my family, the community, my growth group, um, my friends were there to support me, the church. I decided as I was going through the journey to take my hands off the wheel and let God start controlling my life. And that has welled me up with some, some hope that, uh, the future may not be as bleak as what I thought. And so I sit here almost three years from when Karen passed and I look at where I was in June and July of 2020 and here it is March of 23 and I, I'm, I'm amazed, literally amazed at the transformation in my life and my family's, my family as well. And, and I continue to read the Bible and, and, and ask God, you know, what is it that you want me to do in my life? What's left for me? So now that I've retired in, in September, um, I continue to do that. I feel stronger every day. So, you know, I, I know it was a great loss, um, but I, I'm thankful. The, the last thing I said to Karen in my eulogy was uh, when she goes to heaven, that, that the good Lord's gonna wrap his arms around her and say, good job, faithful servant. You, you, did, you did good work, and she did. And that gives you a sense of comfort and, and I know the Lord and the Holy Spirit have been touching me to to help to guide me through that Kelsey's story Jim's story there are stories yeah the details of the hard times and the particular losses they differ but that's our story as well and when hard times and loss come our way we are looking for hope you know, hope is, uh, first, like, is, it's like something inside. It, I don't know, I mean, is it emotion, a feeling, is it a belief, a longing, a desire, a need, all of those things together? It's, it's something, is there something inside, you know, we, we, we have hope. But in addition to this internal aspect, there's also something external about hope. We are, we are looking for something to put our hope in. We are looking for an objective reality, something that is solid and substantial that is out there. And so we go looking out there in all sorts of places for hope. 
And maybe when we're a little younger, we have a lot more confidence in those things. But as time goes by, we find out that our confidence wasn't quite as reliable as it should have been. I mean, we, we put our hope in the government to solve our problems. How's that working? We put our hope in our particular political party's success. We put our hope in our wealth, business, you know, stock market, retirement. We put our hope in science and technology to you know, come up with the solution to what's going wrong. We put our hope in, in medical advances and you know, the, the latest medical research and the cures and the medicines that are just around the corner and they're gonna solve our problems. Uh, sometimes we wind up putting our hope in, in, in our jobs, in our capacities, our skills, our hard work, <coughs> our hard work ethic. Sometimes, sometimes we put our hope in a person, a, a spouse, <coughs> a family member, a parent, a child, a, a boss, a leader, somebody. We're, we're, we're looking for some place to, to put our hope. And, and here's what happens. Even though those things may be good things, most of them are good things, none of them are good enough to be your source of hope. They're just not enough. They're not strong enough, they're not reliable enough, they are not enduring enough, they simply are not enough to be the source to take care of all the hurt and loss and pain that you feel in life. And when we put our hope in those things, they will inevitably disappoint us, and then we are left even worse off than what we were before. And so we continue to look. Luke 24 is a story of the disciples needing hope, looking for hope, and then finding hope. Now think about this, when the stone was rolled over the tomb and Jesus' body was inside, and that, that stone was sealed with the seal of the Roman Empire, and there was a platoon of soldiers placed to guard the tomb against any schemes that the disciples might have, everything said this Jesus who talked about rising from the dead, resurrection has been canceled. Three days later, they found out that it wasn't. And the stone was rolled away and the tomb was empty. But here's what you have to understand. There was an empty tomb, but there was no Jesus and nobody knew what was going on. Everybody was confused. And that's what Luke 24 is all about, talking about this empty tomb and just the confusion. And it's almost a bit comical as Luke is going through the story of Luke 24. It's almost like Luke is laughing as he's going through telling the story. The first part of the story in verses 1 through 12 are the, the women who go to the tomb. Why were they going to the tomb? Because it was sealed, but they get there and the stone is rolled away and there's some angels there talking about, hey, good news, Jesus is not here. He's risen just like he said. And the women go running back to the rest of the disciples in the city of Jerusalem, and they say what had happened, and listen to, listen to the response that the disciples had. They did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Jesus' body is gone. There's an empty tomb. Just sounds like nonsense kind of talk. Peter, however, gets up and runs to see for himself, and he gets there, and bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what just happened. Now, this is when you start to get an inkling that Peter is not the sharpest tack in the box. Jesus talked about rising from the dead. They saw his body wrapped in linens put in there. He gets there, and he's looking in. There's no body. There's just some linens lying there. Oh, I wonder what happened. 
I mean, it's like it's comical. But there's just an empty tomb and no Jesus. I, I get it that they're wondering what's happened. Now we come to the second story, and that is a story of a couple of disciples on the road to Emmaus. Emmaus is a little village about seven miles away from Jerusalem. And two of the crew are heading back there. Perhaps it was their home. Why are they heading back home? Well, because when you followed a, a rabbi, a master, one who claimed to be the Messiah, when you followed that person, and that person is no longer around, even though there's an empty tomb, the, Jesus is not around. They just don't know what to do. So I just kind of think they're going back to their former way of life, and as they are walking back to Emmaus, talking about all the things that happened, Jesus came up and began to walk along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Now, I kind of see this as the first episode ever of Undercover Boss. <laughs> the CEO, the crucified executive officer is right there with them. Undercover, they do not recognize that Jesus is now walking with them. And he asks, so what are you discussing together as you walk along? And, and then we read, they stood still and their faces downcast. You know, every now and then I have been with a group of people where just catastrophe has happened, just unimaginably bad things, and people are gathered together, but nobody's saying anything. They're, they're, we're just standing there numb. We don't know what to do. That's kind of the disciples. They're, just, they're standing there numb, their faces downcast. Literally, their sad faces is how you could literally read that. And, 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 and they say, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem that doesn't know what's going on? And by the way, Jesus is the only one who does know what's going on. But there's, are, are you the only one that you don't know what's going on, the things that have happened? And undercover boss playing along says, well, like, what things? What things happened? And so, well, Jesus was this amazing person, a mighty prophet, and and it turned out that the, the, the chief priests, the rulers, the Pharisees, they captured him, they crucified him, and he's buried. And, and listen to this. We had hoped, we had hoped that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped that Jesus was the answer to all that's going wrong in our culture, all the anxieties of our time, all, all, nothing that's working. We had hoped that Jesus was going to be the one but, you know, something has happened. A couple of the women that were part of the group, a couple of the others, they found that there's an empty tomb, but, but nobody's seen Jesus. They didn't find his body. They came and said they had seen a vision of angels, but they did not see Jesus. Listen, that's what's currently going on. They got an empty tomb, but no Jesus. Nobody knows what's going on. And now Jesus begins to, as the undercover boss move in, and he says, man, you guys are a little foolish, a little slow to believe. And now he starts to unpack all of these things. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And he just walks through the entire Old Testament. And they, had, they had a couple hours of walking to Emmaus. He's just walking them through all the scriptures, explaining the entire redemptive plan of God to them. And then they get to the village of Emmaus. It's not a big village, but they get there. And the place where they're going, they say, hey, Jesus, would you like to, would you like to come? And in fact, it reads, they, they urged him strongly, stay with us. By the way, there's a little Near Eastern thing going on here that we miss. 
Do you know, like, if I invite you to come and, and stay at my house, and uh, for you to be polite, just say, oh, no, I can't stay at your house. Oh, no, I would really like you to stay and have dinner. And you say, oh, no, no, it's much too much imposition. I say, oh, no, I really, really want you. At the third time, you say, okay, I'll be glad to stay. That's kind of what's going on. They strongly urged him, Jesus, I'm sorry, not Jesus, because he's undercover. Stay, stay with us. Keep on telling us more. There's something going on as you're talking to us. And so undercover boss goes in with them. And there they are at the table. You guess you know what's coming, don't you? He takes the bread. He gives thanks. He breaks it. And then we read this. Their eyes were opened and they, recogni they recognized Jesus. And then he disappears from their sight. Now you see me, now you don't. What is he up to? You know, I said there's something almost comical about, about Luke 24. Comical is not, the right, is not the right word. There's something playful going on here. That's the right word, it's playful. Many of you are familiar with the, the Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis, The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe was volume one, a well-known movie. Uh, Aslan is the lion, it is a Christ figure, and, and Aslan winds up being killed by the forces of evil. Instead of a cross, he is sacrificed on a stone table, and two of the children, Lucy and Susan, come in and discover there's Aslan, he is, he is tied up, he is bound, he is shaved, he is dead, and, and it's, just, it's a, a scene of un, just terrible sadness. And as they are there for a while, they finally get up and they wander off, and as they are a little distance, suddenly this loud thunder takes place, and they go running back, and there the stone table has been broken in two, and there's no Aslan. Aslan is gone. There's the empty tomb, but no Aslan. And the next thing, though, he begins to, to come to the children, and, and they start to run around, and they hug him, and they kiss him, and, and he's, his mane is now full-grown, and he's as on the line. He says, children, my strength is returning. Cash me if you can. Then they begin to run around and frolic. Uh, C.S. Lewis said there was never a frolic that, that in history. I, I mean, that, that's what's kind of going on here. Jesus is playful. Cash me if you can. See me as you can. And, and it's just delightful. There's something delightful and playful and joyful about resurrection. And, and then they say, were not our hearts burning inside us as he opened the scriptures to us? Even though they didn't see Jesus, Jesus was at work as the scriptures were just revealing this is who he is. And even though it was late, and even though they were in the middle of their meal, they go heading back to Jerusalem, another seven miles, and they get back there and they go to where the rest of the disciples are. And there they, they find that Peter has also seen now the risen Jesus. Apparently after Jesus left them, he went and, then, and Peter's now seeing Jesus. And and these two say, yes, we confirm that. I mean, it's true, it's true. And now we move to the third episode, the last part of Luke 24, where Jesus appears to them all. And, and, and listen, I just, again, I want you to understand just how extraordinarily unexpected resurrection was. While they were still talking about all these things, Jesus himself stood among them. And he said to them, peace be with you. Now, if you had been with Jesus for three years, He's been crucified, died, and buried, and now the tomb is empty, and the reports are he's risen from the dead, and now he's standing in your midst. How would you feel? You would say, I would be elated beyond measure. Here's what they were. They were startled and frightened, thinking they were looking at a ghost. He said, why are you so troubled? Why do you doubt me in your minds? Look at my hands. 
look at my feet. And then there's this wonderful little phrase, it is I myself, it's me, it's really me. Touch me and see. A ghost doesn't have flesh and, and bones. And as, as he's saying these things, I'll listen to, how, how, listen to how their hearts are changing. He showed them his hands and feet. And while they still not believe, did not believe, now they couldn't believe because of their joy and amazement. It was so high. Like now they can't believe because it's so amazing. They're, they're, it's amazing joy. And Jesus, okay, come on. Again, it's just playful. Get me some food. I'll show you I'm not a ghost. Now listen, I'm telling you all this for a reason. There are those moderns among us today that they look back at their first century and say, oh, they were so gullible back then. They were so primitive. They were so superstitious. They believed all kinds of things. They were just primed to believe in resurrection, even if it's not true. Can I say that is as far from truth as you can imagine. The Jewish people hardly had a framework to understand resurrection. Maybe in a shadowy way, something in the far distant future, but right here in history, right here, right now, one person, it wasn't in their categories. And so when Jesus is there, they're coming up with every other explanation possible until Jesus proves them, hey, it's me, it is really me, I am alive and it's playful, and it's delightful, and it's joyful. And now Luke 24 comes to an end because they have found the, the risen Savior, Jesus. And all the rest of the New Testament, as it is telling you and I how we live, as we live with hope, I mean, every positive thing that is said, everything is said because of the resurrection. You know that word catastrophe means the unimaginably bad ending? Catastrophe, catastrophe means things have gotten as bad as they possibly could and maybe more so. But it was C.S. Lewis who came up with a new word. He took a little prefix, the, the letters E and U, and put them before catastrophe, and he made a new word, catastrophe, which means the unexpectedly good ending. If catastrophe is bad ending, catastrophe is a good ending, an ending so good it is almost too good to believe it's true. Catastrophe was resurrection. Catastrophe was the cross. Eucatastrophe is resurrection. Turns out, it's not the resurrection that was canceled. Oh, no. It's death that has been canceled. It is sin that has been canceled. It is suffering that has been canceled. It is loss that has been canceled. Oh, yes, those things still exist. But their power has been canceled. They are now merely and only empty threats that have no longer any power to control or destroy your lives. Why resurrection? Christ is victor. Christus victor, the first Christian said. Christ triumphant. Christ victorious over all the enemies of humanity. Jesus victorious means this. Jesus wins Life wins, love wins, and when Jesus is in you and you are in Jesus, guess who else wins? You win. That's what resurrection means. The Apostle Paul says if anybody is in Christ Jesus, they are a new creation. How is that possible? Resurrection is what makes it possible. Resurrection means greater is the one who's in you than all those that are out there in the world. Why? Resurrection. It was Martin Luther, the great 16th century reformer. In a, in a powerful hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, he had these lyrics. This world is filled with devils. 
There is a prince of darkness. He is so grim, and he seeks to work us woe, but he can't. He is defeated. Oh, yes, the snakes can still hiss loudly, but they've been defanged. How? Why? Resurrection. Paul says, I am so confident that he who began this good work, he's going to complete it. Paul says, I am so confident that there is nothing in all creation that can hurt you guys. Listen to what he says in Romans chapter 8. Who, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Trouble? Hardship? Persecution? Famine? Nakedness? Danger? Sword? Cancer? Heart disease? Dementia? Alzheimer's? And any other of a thousand things that can go wrong in this world, can any of them separate you from the love of Christ? No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I am convinced that neither death Life, angels, demons, the present, the future, powers, not height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ. Why, Paul, are you so confident? He just says, resurrection. There is new life already bursting inside of you. The new life of God's eternal kingdom is already being manifest on this planet Earth, and one day it will be fully manifest. We read in the book of Revelation, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now with his people. He is their God. They are his people. Listen, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes no more death, mourning, crying, or pain. No more grief, no more anxiety, no more depression, no more medication. None of that is needed anymore. Why? Because the old order of a broken, fallen world is now ended, and I am making all things new, and the words come, it is done. How? Why? Resurrection. Are you tracking with how beautiful the power of resurrection is? Yes, life on this side of eternity will indeed have hardship, and yes, there will be losses. But every hardship and every loss, it is only temporary. It is only temporary. And one day, we will receive back 100-fold everything and everyone we have lost. How do we know? Resurrection. It was Martin Luther King Jr., not the 16th century Reformer, but the 1960s social activist, one who was well acquainted with suffering and hardship and disappointment. He said, in this world, we will live with finite disappointment, but we must never lose hold of infinite hope. Why could he say that? Because he knew the power of resurrection. One of the great spiritual teachers of the history of the church, her name was Teresa of Avila. She said so strongly, all will be well, and all will be well, and all manners of things shall be well. And the hymn writer who, who had experienced an, an, an unimaginable loss wound up saying, it is well with my soul. In spite of this unimaginable loss, it is well with my soul. How can they say such things? They can say it because of resurrection. The we had hoped, that's so, so, just so sad, we had hoped of Emmaus Road becomes we have this 
hope. We have this sure anchor, this certain, reliable, confident hope. Why, how? Jesus, Easter, resurrection. It was G.K. Chesterton, this delightful, playful writer in the late 1900s, early 20th century. He said, he said, the good things of God are running wild through the world. Man, that, that week of hope, that holy week, the good things of God went running wild through the city of Jerusalem. In the next 30 years, the good things of God went running wild through the Mediterranean world. In the next 2,000 years, the good things of God have gone, run, run, run wild worldwide around the globe. For the last 45 years, the good things of God have been running wild right here at Living Word Community Church, York, Pennsylvania. The good things of God are running wild through the lives and stories of Chelsea and Jim. And the good things of God can be running wild through your life as well. Why? How? Jesus. Easter, empty tomb, resurrection. The preacher from Atlanta, Andy Stanley, a couple years back, he said it this way. He said, if somebody ahead of time predicts they're going to be crucified, they are, they die and they're buried, and three days later will rise from the dead, and they pull it off, I'm going with that person. Jesus is that person. He pulled it off. And when you, when you go with that person too, the resurrection life of Jesus fills you and makes all things new. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? And, and first of all, for all of you who you have gone with Jesus, like I have, years and years and years, decades. And we know, oh yes, sometimes life is still hard. Yes, there are losses. But the sting is gone, isn't it? The sting is gone. Our hope is strong. May it be even stronger today on this 2023 Easter Sunday. But maybe you're a guest here or online and you've never gone with Jesus. All those other sources of hope, they have let you down and they will, but he won't. And for you to go with him is just for you to say, Jesus, I, I believe. I believe that you're alive that you're God, I'm gonna go with you. I receive you, I accept you, I trust in you as my God and my Savior. And I tell you what, if you said that, something supernatural, mysterious and wonderful has happened and we'd love to talk to you about it, but, but, but something beautiful has just happened in your life. Uh, as we continue to worship, Lord, fill us with the hope of resurrection life.